Hello there, and welcome to the first podcast of 2020. Uh, my name is Gary Turner. I'm your host of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. What an amazing break I had. I hope you, if you're joining us today, had a fantastic Christmas and entry into this new decade, the 2020s. Uh, my good friend uh, Kevin Monroe calls them the, the decade of difference. I like to think of them as the transformational 20s. I think that so much is going to shift in terms of our um, connection, how we connect with each other, how we lean in with more vulnerability, how we have more courageous conversations from a place of humanity. I'm genuinely feeling very, very optimistic and hopeful. So let's see what happens throughout the journey through this podcast and indeed with all of our lives going into 2020. So thanks for joining us. Um, episode 88 is what we bring you today. And what an absolute privilege it is to bring, just quite, quite honestly, an awesome human being in Dr. Tasha Urich. For those that do not know Tasha, her work is um, predominantly around the topic of self-awareness. She wrote a New York best-selling book called Insights, a book that I've read myself and I was very grateful indeed to have won the book um, following offering, offering some feedback on Tasha's uh, conversation with Whitney Johnson previously. So, yeah, really enjoy this conversation. Give yourself permission um, to take this 30 minutes and really digest the insights and wisdom that Tasha shares with us on this conversation today. A few of those insights that really struck me were that she feels that vulnerability is so intimately connected um, that, you, that I don't think you can become more self-aware unless you're willing to be vulnerable. So just think about that for a second, whether for you personally listening, whether it's for your spouse, your children, your colleagues, your boss at work, however it shows up, how difficult is it or easy is it for someone to show a bit more of their true selves, i.e. being more vulnerable? Um, and what difference can that have on increasing their level of being self-aware? I wonder what your thoughts are around that. Do, do, do reply. Drop me a note um, by email, garyturnerzero at hotmail.com or find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Also, Tasha shared that we have found that people who are highly self-aware are high in self-compassion and not necessarily high in self-esteem. Really interested in that, uh, your thoughts on that uh, reflection as well. And finally, as part of this introduction, what they don't realize is that without that emotional development, they are putting a ceiling on their own level of success. So whilst I come at these conversations around vulnerability, awareness, courage, mindset from a more, let's say, lived experience or experiential point of view, Tasha comes from both that angle, but also with the academic evidence to back it up. So, you know, it makes perfect personal, societal and business sense to be more vulnerable, to become more self-aware. And you'll learn from this conversation the value to everybody on this planet of being more self-aware being more vulnerable and being more courageous. And I'd love to hear what you think um, following this conversation, but I'll be quiet now. Thank you again if you joined us before. Thanks for joining us on any of the previous 87 episodes or, or any of the bonus episodes of this podcast. We've got a fantastic list of guests coming up. Um, we're already booked up to the end of April 2020, taking us well past episode 100. So uh, enjoy the conversation. I look forward to hearing what you take away. Well, welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I'm very, very grateful to bring you the listener. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, Dr. Tasha Urich, who is 
a New York Times bestseller for her amazing work in the book Insight. Um, she's also delivered a TED Talk with over 2 million views and is one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches. And I think that's uh, an incredible introduction, Tasha. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for joining me. And uh, as we get going, for those that may not have heard of you before or come across your, your work in, in the book Insight, would you mind just giving a, a bit of an overview as to sort of your background, your passion and your areas of work that you focus on? And also, how did you get into this focus on self-awareness? That'd be lovely. So I'm an organizational psychologist. I've been doing this for a little more than the last 15 years. And in the work that I do, I'm just so lucky to do it and, and so passionate about it. Um, I get to help leaders be better. Usually already successful leaders be even more successful. So I typically work with the top two or three levels of, of mid-sized to large organizations, but I've worked with startups, I've worked with nonprofits, I've, I've gotten the chance to coach people all around the world. And one thing that I kept noticing over and over was the really extreme contrast between what my clients were doing and what I saw in the rest of the world. <laughs> so other people might see this too, where, you know, it seems like we were getting more and more self-absorbed and less and less self-aware as, as not just a, you know, society here in North America, but, but in general, right. Where, where, um, we're seeing ourselves with rose-colored glasses. We're not being particularly honest with ourselves or how we're coming across. But I got to work with these amazing clients who, regardless of where they started, um, were able to increase their influence. They were able to be more successful, more fulfilled, have deeper and stronger relationships by working to see themselves clearly. And I started to wonder, you know, scientifically, what do we know about this thing we call self-awareness? It's definitely a management buzzword. I think, you know, I started this project about six years ago. It was a, a full-on management buzzword at that point. Um, but as I started to look into the science, you know, being a, a PhD in industrial organizational psychology and really caring about the scientific and empirical aspect, I noticed that we didn't really know that much, which was surprising to me. And so what I started to wonder was, you know, I think self-awareness is a good thing. I've seen it anecdotally with my clients, but I started a research study, um, really kind of the first of its kind with uh, about a dozen research team members to answer the questions, what is self-awareness really? Why do we need it? Where does it come from? And how do we get more of it? And what was so fascinating about this process um, was that there are just an incredible amount of twists and turns where we discovered that, you know, part of the reason that so few people are self-aware is that many of the most commonly accepted pieces of wisdom about what it takes to get there are wrong. <laughs> so that's where the science of it comes in quite handy. Um, and, and I'm ex excited to share as much of that as I can today with your listeners. That's amazing. Well, thank, thank you for that introduction. Just out of interest, what were some of those common um, elements of wisdom that you know, leaders have been built up on over the years that you found to be you know, either fake or maybe not, not quite serving people as they thought they would? Sure. One of the most common um, you know, pieces of wisdom about self-awareness in general, which is you know, all you have to do is introspect. All you have to do is sort of ponder who you are and why you are the way you are, and you will see yourself more clearly. And uh, unfortunately, what we discovered was um, pretty shocking. 
it, very early on in our research program, I did this very simple study where I wanted to look at really the time people were spending introspecting, you know, examining their motives and thoughts and feelings, and then how much better off were they? Not just were they more self-aware, but were they happier, healthier, you know, stronger well-being? And what we found was uh, not only were the people who spent the most time introspecting less self-aware, they tended to be more stressed, more anxious, more depressed, less satisfied with their jobs and relationships, and less in control of their lives. And there was this moment where I went, oh my God, maybe self-awareness is actually bad. <laughs> you know, Maybe I've been looking at this all wrong, this whole thing. Um, and thankfully, what we discovered after we dug into it pretty significantly was that it's not that introspection in and of itself is harmful. It's just the way most of us do it, we do it completely incorrectly. So it, it sort of um, blows us off track and we get focused on things about ourselves that we think are true but aren't. And then that often causes kind of a, a spiral of self-loathing that we don't even know is happening. That's so interesting because one of the things as I read through the book, I, something that really jumped out for me is there's something around this you speak about self-acceptance and also self-worth. And I think what you're speaking to for me, um, Tasha, a little bit is those sort of that negative self-talk, those spirals we can send ourselves down in our mind sometimes is linked to self-worth. That's certainly been my experience. And I wondered if you'd challenge or sort of build that out at all from your side, from your research. You're exactly right. That's what we found as well. Um, one of the other interesting areas that we sort of discovered was this whole idea of self-esteem. and how it's different from self-worth or self-compassion. Um, it, it's there's this whole slew of research that almost nobody talks about that's been around for you know more than 20 years now that shows that self-esteem, which is basically you know thinking we're great, is not actually associated with all of the positive outcomes that we have been led to believe. So people who have high self-esteem, independent of, of objective you know sort of performance, tend to be uh, more aggressive. They are, in romantic relationships, they're more likely to cheat on their partner. Um, they, they are not more successful. There's really no difference between people with high and low self-esteem and, and their success or their happiness. And so what we were trying to discover was, you know, is there an alternative? If self-esteem isn't the right sort of prescription, what, what is the right one? And we stumbled upon a, a whole area of research on, you know, I call it self-compassion or self-acceptance, where basically it's the difference between I think I'm great uh, and, you know, in the absence of any objective evidence versus I accept who I am, you know, sort of warts and all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I have compassion for that person. Um, and, and as it turns out, that, that construct or that, that uh, quality is associated with all of the great things that we you know, think self-esteem should be associated with. So there's a, a really simple tool that I talk about in my book, Insight. Um, I call it the friends test. And to, to look at your own self-compassion or self-acceptance, it's helpful to think about your inner monologue. You know, how, how are you talking to yourself about yourself? And the question I encourage people to ask is, you know, especially if you've messed up, if you've, if, if you've fallen short of your own expectations or of someone else's expectations in some way, ask yourself, is what I'm saying sort of in my internal monologue about this something that I would say to someone that I love and respect? 
And a lot of times that can completely flip the script between, you know, oh my gosh, I was late again uh, to meet my friends uh, for drinks. And, you know, gosh, I just, I'm a terrible friend. And I'm not, instead of saying, um, you know, it's been a really long day for me. And obviously that wasn't a good thing, but I need to forgive myself and, and work to try harder next time and sort of accept that reality about myself, but not beat myself up about it. So I think you're onto something really critically important. Um, we found that people who are highly self-aware are high in self-compassion um, and not necessarily high in self-esteem. That is such a, that's so powerful. And what, what comes up to me as you, you speak there, Tasha, as well, is you spoke about that example. It is what I am saying. And I loved reading in your work, um, in the book Insight, around the difference of questions between what questions and why questions. And I used to be one of those people years ago that would be saying to myself, you know, why has this happened to me? Why is it always me? Why am I being avoided for the promotion? And I didn't realize that I read your book this year that actually that was me accidentally sending myself down that self-loathing trip because of the wrong question. Instead of what can I do to change that? I was stuck in that why. Why is it happening to me? Would you mind speaking to a little bit about those what and why questions? Sure. This is something that we just um, stumbled upon in our research that that's what I love about science is, is it takes you places you didn't think you'd go at the beginning of the project. But going back to some of that introspection work that we did, we were trying to say, okay, listen, if, if asking why and if introspection is, is so dangerous, what's dangerous about it? And, and then what can we do instead? And this might be a good time to bring up uh, one of my favorite parts of our study, which was we searched the world far and wide for people who didn't start out as self-aware but who became remarkably self-aware throughout the course of, of, their, of their adult lives. And we called these people self-awareness unicorns. And you know, mostly as a joke, like, would we actually find these people? Um, and we did, thankfully. Uh, we found 50 people, five zero, that we did these very exhaustive um, qualitative interviews with. Because what we wanted to figure out is, if so many of these commonly accepted uh, truths about self-awareness are not actually true, what is the way, you know, how could we sort of hack that process and, and figure out what we should do instead? So this is the perfect example. What we found in our research was um, asking why questions tended to sort of, this is vastly oversimplifying it, but lead us away from the truth about ourselves. And to your point, um, and I think your example is, is such a powerful one, it also can, can lead us down this track of, of self-loathing, right? You know, why didn't I get that promotion? Or uh, why did I have that fight with my spouse this morning before work? There, there's nothing really productive about those questions. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we tried to find what our unicorns were doing differently. And we scoured our transcripts. And, and the pattern we stumbled upon at first seemed almost like so trivial that it wasn't going to matter. But what we discovered was they were, we only saw the word why about 150 times in our transcripts. But we saw the word what more than a thousand times. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, are they asking themselves what questions? And if so, how is that different? So one example, you know, just to go back to the couple that I shared, let's say you don't get a promotion where most people, you know, who want to introspect would say, why didn't I get that promotion? They, the, our self-awareness unicorns were asking different questions. They were saying things like, okay, well, what part of this do I own? Or um, what can I do to learn more about why I wasn't chosen? Or what can I do differently in the future that's going to set me up for success? 
And what we found was it, this very small tweak completely changed the journey of introspection. It made it uh, sort of solution focused instead of problem focused. It made it future focused instead of kind of mired in the past. It helped people be empowered instead of victimized. And that's been, you know, as I share this work all around the world as a, as a speaker and in, in my coaching practice, I think this has been probably the most powerful idea um, is if we can just slightly change the types of questions we're asking about ourselves, we can achieve a whole new level of insight, of understanding of who we are and, and how other people see us and how we fit into the world. So what, not why is, is the tool. It's so, honestly, I'm, I'm really, really taken aback. Because although I've read it in the book, hearing you voice it, Tasha, is just so powerful because something else that's coming up for me around sort of mindset, and I'm really interested to explore this with you, is the difference, what I'm sensing and hearing is that when we ask ourselves why, and this is just my, my reflection, when we ask why, it's almost fixing us. It's that sort of, there's no growth in, in why. Mm. But, but the what question is almost like the growth mindset. It fuels creativity it fuels another avenue to sort of observe and, and sort of be curious and to explore ourselves that's what's coming up for me yeah I like that it's almost like why questions come from a place where we're assuming we're broken somehow mm. and what questions empower us to make change you know and I, what's interesting about self-awareness is again these highly self-aware people who didn't start out that way they didn't they weren't just self-aware because they wanted to be self-aware, right? They were self-aware because they wanted to become, you know, better, more successful, more connected, well-rounded humans, uh, both at work and, and in their personal lives. And what I love about what questions and, and what we learned from our research subjects is that's sort of one of the vehicles to get there and to constantly improve. And again, just because we learn something about ourselves that isn't perfect doesn't mean change is our only option. But what questions make change a lot more possible and a lot more tangible when we want to? I'm really interested to ask you um, as well, Tasha, um, you know, in the spirit of this podcast, which is called Value Through Vulnerability, how does, or in your experience, how, how does being vulnerable help or not the process of leaders being more self-aware? I'm just wondering sort of off the cuff if, that, if there's any relevance to that or if it's completely disconnected. It's it's so intimately connected that um, I don't think you can become more self-aware unless you're willing to be vulnerable. So if I think about you know a, an executive coaching client, for example, I'm, let's say I'm coaching a, a CEO, and part of what I do at the beginning of that process is I go and speak to you know literally sometimes 30 people that that person works with, whether it's uh, employees, board members, um, you know, investors, even their, their friends, their family. And I try to get a picture of, of sort of who is this person? You know, what are they doing well? What, what are they doing where they're uh, possibly unintentionally getting in their own way? And the vulnerability has to start once they get that, that feedback with themselves, right? They have to be willing to admit to themselves 
that they are not all-knowing. Uh, they are not already perfect. Um, and again, have, have compassion for themselves in the process. But then probably even more importantly, uh, the process doesn't work unless they go out and share what they've learned with, with those people. And the way I like to work is a, a stakeholder-centered approach. You know, you mentioned my, my colleague and friend Marshall Goldsmith at the beginning of this. This is really um, his philosophy, and, and it's something that empirically is so well supported. Um, I almost don't think you can do coaching without some kind of stakeholder-centered approach. But basically what it involves is saying, you know, checking up with these people, these, these you know, eight to 10 people who are the most critically important for your success and going to them every month and saying, you know, as you know, I'm trying to work on being a better listener. What feedback do you have for me in the last 30 days? What ideas do you have for me in the next 30 days? And kind of just breaking down those barriers. Um, the other piece of it is, as an executive coach, I actually don't get paid unless those very stakeholders see a positive, sustainable behavioral change from that person. And the only way to improve as a leader is to bring those people along. So um, I think for all of us, especially for senior level leaders, there's this feeling that I, I have to be invulnerable and I have to know what I'm doing all the time. I need to know, uh, you know, more than the people in this that work for me. I need to, uh, even if I messed up, pretend I didn't mess up because then I'll look weak. And, you know, as you know, even better than I do, I think, given your work and, and the topic of this podcast, you can't do it without being vulnerable. You can't achieve that level of success that I think successful people are longing for without breaking down those barriers. So it's, it's probably one of the most counterintuitive concepts that I teach my clients, but it, it's one of the most central. It's almost like if you don't buy that concept, uh, you can't get on to the path of improvement at all. No, thank, thank you for sharing. Someone that comes up for me, I think is a good friend of yours as well. I've seen Gary Ridge speak a few times uh, from WD40 and he, uh, he, he speaks so beautifully about the fact that the three most important words he's ever learned are I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's scary, exactly. I love that so much. So it, it, in terms of what I'm really loving about this discussion, Tasha, is you're dealing with very senior leaders, CEOs around the world. You know, you're one of Marshall Goldsmith's coaches. Yet we're really talking about emotion here, and it's really something that I certainly wasn't taught in business school. And I'm just really interested through your work and your observation as you go into the work into 2020 of your clients. Are you seeing a shift towards this conversation around moving, you know, sort of aligning heart and mind and brain rather than just being on top of our shoulders where we've been for so many years now? I, I absolutely am, um, and I think it's a it's a powerful force largely because of the examples we have of when, you know, especially CEOs, when they are willing to jump into that, the, the, the results that they achieve, you know, so I, I, I meet so many people in the course of my travels who say, oh, you know, what you do, it's the soft stuff. It's, you know, if I get around to it, I'll get more self-aware or more vulnerable or, you know, in better touch with my emotions. But what, what they don't realize is without that, they're putting uh, a ceiling on their own level of success. You know, you look at, at leaders like Alan Mulally of, of uh, Ford Motor Company. He came there in you know, 2006 when they were basically on the brink of bankruptcy. Um, and in less than five years, he took that company from $17 billion loss to $20 billion of profit. It was their second most profitable year ever. 
And he did it through a combination of, you know, what he calls awareness for everyone um, and heart, you know, and that sounds so bizarre thinking about this, you know, powerful big three automaker CEO whose, whose philosophy of life is, uh, in his own words, love them up. <laughs> you know, you think about, is that even a good idea in the workplace? But what that means is um, compassion and support and, and respect for the human beings that are working with you. It's a willingness to be human yourself, um, you know, to say, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> you might know more about that than me. Can you help me? Um, and I think, you know, we, it's drilled into us, myself included, as, as we all sort of grew up in the business world that, you know, keep a stiff upper lip and never let them see you sweat. But it's, it's just the opposite. And I think that the leaders who are connected to their humanity and to their emotions um, are able to utilize them, not just to form better connections and feel more connected to uh, you know, their, their purpose and their mission, but they're able to get better financial results. So I, I think leaders should, are ignoring this really at their own peril. So, so powerful. I've got a, a real life example at my work organization as well, um, Tasha, where over three years we increased sales and our margin by just shifting the culture to one that is more collaborative over fear-based. It's, it's so, it's so obvious when you're in this space, but I think people are still quite scared to step into it. And I'm wondering in your experience where some of that fear may come from. Gosh, you know, I don't know if I have a great answer for that, to be honest. I think <laughs> um, I would look to a lot of Brene Brown's work on, you know, vulnerability and courage. And it, 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 there's something so, you're basically giving yourself over to someone when you, when you show them who you really are. And I think at the end of the day, it's about, um, calculating, um, is it worth that strategic risk? Um, and one of the things I, I work on with my clients is sometimes, you know, I say, well, you, your, your assignment in the next week is to admit one mistake to another person in your sphere at work. And they go, oh my God, that sounds terrible. I go, I know, <laughs> it sounds terrible, but go try it. Do, even if it's the smallest mistake, you know, I'm sorry I'm late for this meeting and come back and we'll talk about it. And invariably what happens is they say, um, wow, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. And I was amazed at how, you know, positive the reaction was from my team. And so what I try to do with people, you know, regardless of what exactly is holding them back from that is, is engineer small experiments to show them that as scary as it sounds and as scary as it feels, it's probably going to be a lot more positive of an experience than, than you can predict. Wonderful. And I love you speaking to the experimentation part as well. And, and I think the, what's beautiful about the work you're doing is that it doesn't actually cost, uh, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it doesn't cost anything to bring you in or, 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 <laughs> or to do work, but right the actual cost for the individual is purely time and intent. There's, there's, there's no other, ex, there's no other major external cost to run that experiment. Is there? I love that. I, I'm going to steal that. Actually. You're, you're absolutely right. They're already going through the coaching process. They're already working on their goals. If anything, you know, if the experiment works, it's going to make their life easier. 
And that's sort of what I, what I think about with my clients is that there's this period of, you know, sort of radical honesty where they learn all the stuff that people think about them that they've been storing up for years and, you know, never said because they're so powerful. And then you get this momentum going, right? And it becomes self-sustaining if you, if you do the right things and if you take the right approach. Uh, and so sometimes it's like, you know, once I see it, I believe it. Um, but, but until I can actually see some of that, it's, it's sort of hard to wrap your brain around. Oh, that's awesome. As, as, as we start to wrap up, this is such a, I, I could, I could talk to you for hours, but I won't do that. I know, ditto. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what I would like to touch on, because I really thought this is really, for me, it's really powerful. You speak in the book around the seven pillars of insight and you speak about values, passions, aspirations, fit, patterns, reactions, and impact. And I was wondering of those, is any one of those more important than the others? Are they sequential or are they just like a combination to work on? I'm really intrigued if you could speak to that about those seven pillars. I'd be really appreciative. Absolutely. So um, for, for your listeners, they're basically seven types of self-insight that we discovered that highly self-aware people possess. Um, and and the, the order that they're in is intentional. Um, this is where there's a little bit of an art to go along with the science, but it's sort of from our most core and fundamental to our most external and, and behaviorally uh, evident, right? So um, values are core and central to who we are. And in some sense, I see values as being the most fundamental part of our self-awareness. If we don't know those principles um, that we want to live our lives by, what we are going to expect of ourselves and others, it's sort of hard to have, if you don't have that anchor, it's hard to build on. Um, and so from my perspective, at least anecdotally, I think that values aspect is um, foundational. We've also found that for leaders in particular, values are, you know, having well-articulated values that you communicate, that you hold yourself accountable to, um, is, a, is a great lever that you can pull to help you be a more effective leader. And, and by the way, you're going to feel better about what you're doing because it's anchored in what's most important to you. Um, but then everything else, you know, you think about our passions, our aspirations, um, th those are getting a little bit more external. And then all the way to the impact that we have on others. That is, you know, that's sort of where the, the self ends and, and the, the other begins, right? We found that uh, knowing our impact on others in particular is, is also helpful for leaders. <laughs> I think we've all worked with a leader who was not aware of the impact they were having. And we can see very clearly the limitations that, that are imposed on, on their success. So they're all important, but I think, you know, sometimes people say, where should I start? I would even think about, you know, work on your values and then even do an assessment on where am I lacking? You know, maybe I, I know what I value and I know what I'm passionate about, but I haven't given a lot of thought to my behavioral patterns. You know, what, what are the consistent ways I behave over time or the consistent ways I behave in certain situations? I, I'm a big fan of um, life is hard enough. And when it comes to improving and developing, it's not a crime to make things easy on ourselves, right? So instead of trying to work on all seven pillars of insight at once, for goodness sake, pick one, you know, get, get some, get some traction, make some headway, and then you can turn your focus to the others. Lovely. And, and in terms of those seven pillars, they are equally um, helpful for both the internal and external self-awareness piece, Tasha? The, the way I look at it is um, for every pillar there are two types of data we can get, right? We can get data from our own perspective internally, and we can get data from other people externally. 
And I like the idea of uh, both for every pillar. So, so the example, you know, going back to uh, passions is another one of the pillars that I just love. I can do some work and really ask myself some, some good strategic questions on what am I most, most passionate about? What makes me leap out of bed in the morning? And am I designing my life to make sure I do that? But it's also really valuable and sometimes uniquely valuable to ask the people who know you best. What are the things you see me getting the most excited about? And, um, you know, as I look over the course of my career, I've had a couple of situations where other people have seen things that I didn't see at first. You know, I, a long, long time ago when I was working in the Fortune 500 world, I led um, leadership development for this, this large Fortune 500 engineering company. And I sort of started dabbling in working with the executive teams in our organization. You know, it was a very large one. There were lots of, of different sort of leadership teams and all of our different business units. And when I came back from one of those kind of like hobby trips, I called them, I remember my boss saying, I don't think I've seen you this excited about anything since you've come to work here. And I thought, oh, you know what? I, I love, I do love working with executive teams. And, and so I think that's a great example of where our own uh, knowledge and perception is important, but sometimes other people can add really unique and valuable pieces of the puzzle. Thank you so much for sharing that because my, my big learning for, for, for you and the listeners um, as, as we wrap up this, Tasha, is that I definitely, I'm better at being more aware from a, yeah, from a what point of view rather than a why, but I still don't get enough data points on those pillars from outside. And I think I'm really going to be intentional about getting more feedback at those different levels. So thank you so, so much um, for sharing. It's, it's amazing. Um, there's one thing I'd like just to share with our listeners. Um, I've, you know, you've got a newsletter. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just sharing contact details, uh, I'll say your newsletter is brilliant. So I can recommend that for our listeners to, uh, to sign up for. Thank you. Yes, we have a bit of a cult-like following. Um, I, I love our community. Um, if anybody wants to sign up for that, it's one message a month, no spam ever. Uh, it, they can go to Tasha.Uric, or sorry, they can go to TashaUric.com. Fantastic. And what, one of the, the notes that came through in, your, in one of your recent ones on the 12th of November, which I loved, you spoke about the mark we make on the world is the sum total of our often small daily decisions. And I just think that sums up beautifully this conversation we've had. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, sometimes improving and, and even gaining self-awareness seem like these huge insurmountable obstacles. But what I've learned, you know, over the course of my work and, and being able to learn from so many brilliant, successful leaders is it really is about that small incremental change. And, you know, if you can improve your self-awareness by 1% every week, just think about the massive effect that that's going to have on your confidence and your success and your relationships. And, you know, we don't need to wait for that moment where everything makes sense. We can engineer those small moments and really have a, a big impact. That's amazing. I'm, I'm just going to be really cheeky, Tasha. I've got one final question, if I may. I'm really intrigued that you, you did your theatre studies and psychology, and of course you're doing the work where you are now. Do you bring your artistic flair into your work today? Or your more creative <laughs> flair? Because I, I, love, I love that as a mix in your background. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was... Um... I was kind of like a, a, a left-brained theater person, um, if that makes sense. So I, I've never been sort of the most creative thinker. Um, but what I love to do is, is sort of bring things to light in a, 
in an organized and comprehensive way. So I love to uh, direct. Um, I, I really loved actually as one way that that I think is consistent across time is bringing really smart creative people together and helping them achieve something that's greater than the sum of their parts that was always you know sort of the leadership aspect of being an artist and um, you know hurting all the cats that were necessary I think there's a lot of parallels there with the work that I do with my executives you know sort of helping them bring uh, diverse uh, smart people together to accomplish amazing things. Um, and, and obviously the theater training doesn't hurt when you're a professional speaker. <laughs> so I think uh, I, I miss it every day, but I, I love what I do and I'm really grateful to be able to do it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I believe that there's an insight quiz that any of our listeners could go and take. Where's the best place for people to find that, Tasha? Is it on the website so, as well? It is. So uh, if they go to insight-quiz.com, this is a resource that we created for the launch of Insight a couple of years ago. Um, and it has just been unbelievably popular and people love it and so we decided to just keep it up forever to make the world a, a more self-aware place. But basically it's a, it's a five-minute assessment. You fill out 14 questions on how you see yourself. You enter um, the information for someone who knows you well, and they fill out 14 questions on how they see you. And by the way, we never email or spam them. It's just to um, get that data. And then once both of those are filled out, you get a report detailing your internal and external self-awareness at a high level. And then a couple of things you can do to be more self-aware given your results right away. Amazing. Well, you've been an absolute joy. I really appreciate your time today. And thank you for sharing your, uh, your knowledge and wisdom with us today. It was a blast. Thank you so much again for having me. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Hi there. Just Gary wrapping up this conversation with Dr. Tasha Urich. I hope you took away as much as I did from this incredible conversation. Uh, in terms of wrapping up, here's three things that I took away um, the most. One was where she said that not only were the people who spent the most time introspecting less self-aware, they tended to be more stressed, more anxious, more depressed, less satisfied with their jobs and relationships, and less in control of their lives. I used to be one of those people in the past. I spent so long inside my head trying to work out stuff that I felt was going wrong, believing that the stuff outside of me was causing me to feel a certain way. And indeed, I burnt myself out, as many of you may, may already know. So that's a really powerful reflection for me. Another was about the why and what questions. So why questions come from a place of we're assuming we're broken somehow. And what questions empower us to make change. This reminds me of my thinking environment experience that I had with uh, Jane and Ted Grant and a couple of other awesome humans during November and December 2019. And again, it's all around these what questions. So rather than why do I feel a certain way or why am I experiencing X, how about what can I do to step into my power or what can I change to try and improve A, B or C? Just such a different level of empowerment. And finally, uh, the other point I took away, which made a huge difference here, and any one of us can do this, is checking up with eight to 10 people who are most critically important to your success and going to them each month and saying, as you know, I'm trying to work on being a better listener or what, what feedback do you have for me in the last 30 days? What ideas do you have for me in the next 30 days? So yes, there's very much a feedback element here, but we're going in from a place of pure courage and vulnerability and saying, look, this is what I want to work on publicly and transparently. 
how can you help me? And I'm going to be looking to try and do this with a few more people as I go into 2020 throughout this year. Maybe you're one of those people, if you're listening to this now and thinking, great, I'd love to have an accountability partner. Gary, why don't you and I get together and help hold each other, not just to account, but hold the space for one another to reflect, to hold the mirror up to each other's thinking about a particular area that we want to work on. So I'd like to extend that offer to you right now. If you're somebody that's um, open to spending between 15 and 30 minutes per month, uh, let's call it Q1 for now, January, February, March, 2020. If you're interested in spending 15 to 30 minutes once a month to reflect and hold the mirror up with me, so I'll hold the mirror up to your thinking and you hold the mirror up to mine thinking for a short period of time around a specific topic that we're working on. I'd love to offer that to you and I'd be grateful if you'd offer that to me. So they're my takeaways from this first incredible conversation of 2020 episode 88 and I'm so grateful for Dr. Tasso Yurik, New York best-selling author, awesome human being and author of the book Insight. Have a wonderful start to 2020 wherever you are in the world. I really do want to intentionally meet more of you in real life in particular but as a minimum if you're listening to this podcast, if you want to engage in conversation, I'd love to have that have a conversation with you, learn more about what your desires are how what you're trying difference you're trying to make in the world and indeed how can we all try and help one another do that so until next time until episode 89 have a wonderful start to 2020 and speak to you soon and of course if you want to reach me it's at gary turner zero on hotmail uh, on twitter gary turner zero at hotmail.com is my email address or you can find me on linkedin and as always if you've enjoyed this podcast please 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 leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast apps, we can reach more people. As I still believe there aren't that many podcasts out there having this depth of deeply human conversation, but feel free to challenge me on that. Till next time, take care.